0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So we're in the middle of a series called Unmet Expectations. And the first week we looked at our unmet unmet expectations and our circumstances and how God can take those circumstances and redeem them. Last week Pastor Andrew taught us how to deal with our unmet expectations in people. And one of the big takeaways for me was when Pastor Andrew said, An imperfect person can never meet all of our needs, but a perfect Savior can. That's powerful, isn't it? Today we're going to continue as we look at the unmet expectations that we often tend to put on ourselves. In 1997, there was this small magazine that realized hours, just hours before going to publisher, that they still had space in the issue that needed to be filled, quite a bit of space. And so in a panic... They offered some really good advertising deals to some of their value customers and and to some of their closest friends. One of the editor's good friends decided that he was going to take out a few ads to to try and help the little magazine and and try and fill some space. And one of the ads that he placed, it read like this. Wanted. Somebody to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. Post Office Box 322, Oakview, California, 93022. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I've only done this once before. (laughs) He ended up receiving quite a few response letters. And of course, most of the people that responded knew that it was a joke and they responded accordingly. But there were a few people that took this man serious. And some of those people that took him seriously wanted to go back in time to undo the worst mistakes that they had ever made in their lives. And many of them they were voicing those through through pen they were voicing those to him to say here's what I did and if I could go back here's what I would fix. One woman actually wrote to him and she said that if she had the chance to go back in time she would stop the hitman that she hired to kill her husband. I have no idea if he reported her or not. We all have regrets. There's not one person in this room that you don't have a regret. You may say that you don't but you're lying. We all have regrets. There's always something that we look at in life and we think, man, if I could go back, I would do this differently. Just like the people in our lives that have not met our expectations that we talked about last week, we too, we are flawed and we are imperfect people. And our own unmet expectations in our own lives, they often lead us to regret and regret leads to shame and shame leads us to running from God. And so it's a very slippery slope once we have regret in our lives, and we have to figure out how to, how to manage this, because when, when, when we allow shame to, to, to take over, when regret turns into shame and we begin running from God, we watch this happen in the very beginning of humanity. If you'll go back to Genesis, we're not going to be reading from there today, but we saw this played out in humanity when Adam and Eve Disobeyed God and they ate of the forbidden fruit. God said, You can eat from every tree of the garden, including the tree of life. You can eat from every tree in the garden, but just stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, You don't want to partake of that. That is not meant for you. But they disobeyed God in, in an effort to try and know more in life and, and to gain knowledge. They 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 ate from the forbidden tree. And then their eyes were open. Yeah, they could see good and evil now. They, their eyes were open to that, and God never intended for them to see that. And after their eyes were open, they realized what had what they had done, and and out of shame and regret, they ran and they hid from God. That's what regret will do to you. If you're not careful, it will it will it will begin growing roots in your heart and in your soul, and it will cause you to become so shameful that you run from God. No doubt there's probably someone here in the room today that you have been running from God because of the shame that the enemy has convinced you of is unforgivable. I want you to know today, friend, that it is forgivable. God is is going to meet you in this room, and by the end of this service, I pray that your heart is pliable and that you will receive that forgiveness that God has for you, amen? We all do it. We make mistakes, and, and we have a feeling of guilt that overwhelms us. It's interesting, though, how that guilt is played out in people's lives, because some people go one direction, and some people go a completely different direction. If I could subtitle this message today, I would call it A Tale of Two Men, A Tale of Two Men. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. We're going to read quite a few verses from that. I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, and I hope Uh, that most of you are probably familiar enough with this story, you'll be able to follow along. If not, I'll try and help narrate it along the way. Mark chapter 14, I want to begin reading at verse 10. We are at the end of the earthly ministry of Christ. Uh, This is just hours before he would be arrested and uh, eventually crucified for our sins. And I want to begin reading at Mark chapter 14, verse 10. It says, then Judas Iscariot, that's one of his disciples, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money, so he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Let's go down to verse 27 now. It says, on the way Jesus told them, all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd And the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to them, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. We're going to go down to verse 50 now, but, but this is just a short time later as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He separated himself from, from the crowd, separated himself from the other disciples. There's only three that are there in the garden with him. And, uh, and, and Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. He says, The man that I kiss, that's the one that you want to, to arrest. So he walks up, he kisses Jesus on the cheek. That gives them the signal this is the man. And uh, and he's arrested. Verse fifty says, "Then all of his disciples deserted him, deserted him, and ran away. All of them, every single one of them, all twelve, they all ran away." Verse fifty-three says, "They took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance. Oh, this is where we got to get. We got to be very careful, church." I'm afraid there's too many people that we are following Jesus at a distance, probably because of some regret that we have in our lives. Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Listen, you you hear what's being said here? All he needs is someone to stand up on his behalf, someone that can speak truth, but they've all ran, they're all in hiding. Peter is, is off in the distance, listening, but no one will stand up and speak truth for him. Fifty six, Verse 56 says, Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Verse 66 says, Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And He went out into the entryway, just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. And Peter but Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, a Curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he, being Peter, broke down and wept. What a sobering moment that must have been for Peter. At the moment that 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 rooster crowed the second time, and the words flashed through his mind is what the Bible said of what Jesus told him was going to happen, that you're going to deny me three times. It had to be one of the most sobering moments of his entire life as he realized what he had done. I have to feel like at that moment, Peter probably began thinking back on his friendship with Christ. All of the things that they had been through together for the past three and a half years. Because during that three and a half years, it was action-packed. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. Besides all of the the miracles that he saw, there was a lot of personal stuff that, that, that Peter got to experience. Just think, when they first met, Peter... And his brother, they're just cleaning their nets. They had been fishing all night long. They're just feeding their nets. But the, the crowd is pressing against Jesus. And so he steps over into Peter's boat. And, and they launch out just a little bit so that Jesus can stand there on the boat. And he can teach the people standing on the shore. Peter was actually the, the first sound man for a church service. Because... The words of Christ were, were reverberating off of the water and they, they were uh, echoing up to the crowd, being amplified, if you will. And so, so Peter is, is there in the boat listening to the words of Christ. After Jesus, is, Jesus finishes teaching, he turns and looks at Peter and he says, hey, you got any fish? He said, no, we fished all night long. They're, no, they're just not biting. We don't have any fish. He says, launch out into the deep. He says, Master, listen, we, we've done this. We, we are tired. We've already cleaned our nets. Jesus says, launch out into the deep. He goes out into the deep. They let down their nets, and they begin pulling up so many fish that the Bible says that their nets begin to break. They had so many fish coming into the boat that they had to call for a backup. They had to get some other boats to come and so that they could fill those boats up just because Jesus was a better fisherman than the professionals. Or how about the time that Jesus came walking on the the water towards the boat of his disciples? It it was a little choppy out there that night. And Jesus comes walking out on the water towards his disciples. And and Peter recognizes that it's Jesus. And he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. Just, Just say the words and I'll step out of this boat and I'll walk on water towards you. Jesus says, well, come. Come on, Peter. He gets out of the boat and he begins walking towards Jesus. And, and he, he does what no other human being besides Peter and Jesus has ever done. And nobody else has ever recorded doing this before. He gets to walk on water. Now, we like to ridicule Peter a lot and say he took his eyes off of Christ and when he did, he began to sink. But man, he got to walk on water and I've never walked on water. I've never had that kind of faith to get out of the boat and walk on water quite like that. Well, actually, I did once and I just sang. But But <clears throat> Jesus was not there bidding me to come either, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus reaches out his hand and he pulls him back up. Is that not the ministry of Christ, where he'll just reach right down into your mistakes and just pull you right back up every time? Or, or how about that time that after teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus goes over to Peter's house for lunch? And when they get there, Peter's mother in law, is running a fever. And Jesus heals his mother-in-law. He must have had a good relationship with his mother-in-law, like I do with my mother-in-law. Because if it was my father-in-law, I'd have just said, Let, let him burn up. Just, just don't no, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. How about that time? Jesus looked at Peter near Caesarea Philippi. And he looks at him and he says, From now on, we're not gonna call you Simon. We're going to call you the rock. That's your new name, Peter, the rock. And he gives him that nickname that sticks with him. And then he looks at him, and this has been debated, and and, and I don't have time to get into it this morning, but he says, from now on, we're going to call you the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Maybe Peter thought back to that conversation. Or even on the night in Jerusalem right before they all abandoned him how Jesus insisted in that upper room on washing the disciples' feet and Peter said no lord i'm not worthy you should not wash anyone's feet much less mine don't you're not washing my feet he says unless i wash your feet you have no part with me he says well just just wash my whole body then just get... i just wonder As those words flashed across his mind, if he began thinking about all that Jesus had done for him. Maybe you've had some of those relationships in your life that are only one-sided. Like you do everything for them, they do nothing for you. I've had a few realizations like that in my own life recently. In this moment, Peter has regret. It's a natural mindset for someone to look back over the relationship and realize just how good that person was to them that they don't deserve the way that they treated them. It's only natural for a person to feel regret in that moment. You know, the question comes to my mind, does God ever feel regret? I mean, if he is perfect in all of his ways, if God does not make mistakes, does God ever look back over the day that he has made, and say, Oh, I regret doing this today, or I regret doing that. First Samuel 15 and 29 tells us, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. But there's this thing referred to as godly sorrow. And at first glance in certain scriptures, you might think that God is upset with himself because he made a mistake. And, and, and I'll just give you a couple of sample verses. In, in Genesis chapter, chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom, <clears throat> whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Some translations say, I regret that I made them. First Samuel 15 and 11 God says, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. You see, in these two verses, the Hebrew word that's translated as regret actually means to sigh. That's what God was doing. When God looked at how evil humanity had become, he sighed. When he looked at Saul, King Saul, and he knew that he did not follow his commands. God sighed. Since we know that God does not make mistakes, it is easier for us to comprehend the concept of sighing as a more descriptive term for the kind of regret that God experiences. God did not make a mistake in creating human beings. It's just that his heart was sorrowful. His heart was even broken as he witnessed the direction that humanity was going. God did not make a mistake in appointing Saul as king of Israel. He was heartbroken over Saul's actions. So there's this godly sorrow that we read about in scripture. And church, when we do things that, 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 that break that breaks our hearts and when we have regret for our own actions, we must respond to these things with godly sorrow, not in worldly regret. And what the enemy has convinced so many of us to do is that we start operating in this worldly regret and nothing is ever solved out of that But if we would ever learn to operate in godly sorrow, then we can get to the root of the issue and we can begin dealing with these things and letting more importantly letting God deal with these things in our hearts and we just might come out on the other side a better person than the way we went into it. On the night that Christ was arrested, two men betrayed Jesus. Actually, 12 men betrayed Jesus that night as they all ran. But the two that we're looking at, this tale of two men, They both experienced regret for what they had done. Judas, Judas allowed it to consume him and he ended his own life after he returned the money uh, to to the chief priest. The Bible says that he hung himself because of the guilt that was associated with what he had done. The enemy uses the weapon of regret to ruin lives every day. It's unmet expectations. It, it's, it's that moment when we realize this is not what I thought I would be doing. This is not how I thought I would respond. I thought that I would have been a better father. I, I, I thought that I would have been a better wife, a better son, a better daughter. I, I thought that I would be a better employee. I thought that I would be a better boss. I, I should have been a better Christ follower. And we've got this regret because of where our life has ended up. And the enemy convinces us that it's too late. That we're in this rut and there's no getting out of it. It is who we are. Let me tell you, it, it drives me insane when someone admits to me a character flaw that they have. And then they say something along the, the, the lines of, well, it's just who I am, or it's it's how God made me. No, it's not how God made you. It's how the enemy made you. And, 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 and to respond with, this, it's just who I am. It, basically, you're saying, you've just got to accept me the way that I am. Well, maybe so, but you don't have to stay that way. God loves us too much to leave us that way. There's redemption, Amen. And we need to stop, we need to learn to stop living life with regret and start looking at each mistake as a life lesson. Listen, just because I mess up here does not mean that I have to keep making that same mistake over and over and over. That habitual sin is what's going to keep some of us out of heaven, and we've got to get a grip on this. Oh, you're so used to me preaching grace that you are just, you're just like, Pastor, what's wrong with you right now? I'm telling you, we've got to learn to grow from our mistakes. It's the tale of two children. Think about this. Imagine two little boys that are told not to make a mess. Mommy looks at them and says, I'm going to go in the other room. I've got a phone call to make. Do not make a mess. Do you understand me? Don't make a mess. I just want you to sit here and I want you to watch TV. Do not make a mess. The mom leaves the room for 30 minutes to make her phone call, only to return to find toys all over the room. She looks at the wall. Permanent markers. Oh, it's colorful. Bless their hearts. Some of our elementary students right now, they're they're getting the look right now. The smaller kids in the room are are guilty. I see it. We should have an altar call right now. Markers on the wall. Permanent markers all over the walls. There's food on the couch. Not on a plate. It's just staining the cushions. Mom walks in and says, what have you done? I told you, keep this room clean. What have you done? One child laughs and scoffs at the mother and and continues to make a mess, not even listening, not even caring about how it's breaking the mother's heart. The other one breaks down in sorrow and tears and begins cleaning up the room. Which child do you think the mom wants to keep? (laughs) Peter has a choice to make. Does he go the rest of his life giving to the regret and continuing to make matters worse, thus destroying his life? Because that's what some of us are doing. We just give in to the regret and we just keep making the poor choices, destroying our own lives. Or does he find his way back to God? Romans 2 and 4 tells us that God's kindness It leads us to repentance. Understand this your God is not some some angry kid with a giant magnifying glass just trying to cook you under the sun. That's not Him, He's full of grace. And it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. You see, that love that you feel flooding your heart right now because of all that that past sin and all those past mistakes, that's God's kindness. That's His grace being extended out to you right now. And what God wants that kindness to do is to lead you back to repentance. God's not angry with with you. you, you may have caused Him to sigh a time or two. Oh, let's be honest. How many of you have caused God to sigh a time or two? Amen? You may have caused him to sigh a time or two, but trust me when I say God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. Listen to this. I'm about to give you two words that are the most freeing words in in, in almost all of the Bible. When I read these two words, man, they jump off the page at me. Listen to this. Mark 16, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. This is just the continued story. Jesus has been crucified. He's laid in a tomb. Saturday evening, verse 1, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so that they they could anoint Jesus' body Very early on Sunday morning, just just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed, you were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, and here's the two words, including Peter. You go and tell his disciples, even Peter. Even the one that denied knowing him three times in one night. You go and tell his disciples, and by the way, don't you leave Peter out. Just because Peter made a few mistakes and may have a few regrets in his life, don't you leave him out of this. Even Rocky, even Deanna, even Kendall, even Zach. You make sure that they know. Because this resurrection story, it's not for those that just have life altogether. It's for even those that have regrets in their life. Even those that have made mistakes in their lives. (laughs) God did not exclude Peter even, even after he denied him three times that night. So don't count yourself out. God has not given up on you. He still sees value in you. Understand this. God has more invested in you than you do in him. He sent his son to die for you. He has more invested in you than you do in him and when you have an investment like that, you don't give up on that. God has not given up on you. And godly sorrow is necessary. It calls for repentance. Worldly regret, it leads to destruction. I was reminded in studying for this, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think if I'm going to tell this story in second service. My mom may be here in second service, and I just I don't want to stir up anything from the past. But when I was 15 years old, I was staying with a friend one summer in Swanee County in Live Oak, and uh, I uh, I went to jail that night for underage drinking at 15 years old. I know some of you are like, uh, see, some some of you have been around here long enough that you know this story. But some of you are like, what church have we come to? Yes, your pastor spent a night in jail for underage drinking at 15 years old. I know some of your stories, and it's worse than mine. So I'm okay. I'm in good company. (laughs) There were five of us that night. We actually got busted twice in one night. The first time, the officer just took our beer and let us go, but we had some more hidden. And... um, I have to admit to you that 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 second time that night when we were caught, it was one of the scariest nights of my life. I had never spent a night in a a jail. And um, I I was terrified, partially because I knew that Jack and Becky McKinley were going to be picking me up the next morning. And it must have been a really boring night in Suwannee County, because they had five teenagers, and they wanted to interrogate all of us separately. And they did. They took us into an interrogation room. I mean, they're shining the light in our face. We're sitting at a table, and I'm like, this is serious. I'm going to prison. <laughs> this is bad. I mean, my 15-year-old mind thought, this is, this is bad. And I remember sitting at that table, and I'm just coming clean on everything. I mean, <laughs> where are you at at 8 p.m.? We were sitting behind the S and S, and yes, we paid this man to go in and buy beer for you know. What did he look like? Yeah, I'll get, I'll draw it. Give me, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm coming clean with everything. It's a small little little sheriff's department, or it was at the time. And I remember they took me back to this holding cell, and they took each one back there. Well, they got to to my friend. He was he was the only one that was 18, and they took him back there. And man, he just became belligerent. He's yelling back at them. They're yelling at him. And I'm down the hall going, we're all going to die in the electric chair by morning. I mean, it's just, it's, in my mind, this was, there was no good ending to this. And he is, I mean, he's letting them have it. They're letting him have it. And it, it's bad, it's bad. That night, four of us got off Free. I had some godly sorrow that night. It led me to repentance. The only one of us that was charged and eventually had to go stand before a judge was the one who stood there in his sin and became belligerent with it, even comfortable with it. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You see, today you walked into this room with some regret. I did. There's some things I wish I could go back and change. There's some things I wish I would have said differently. There's some things I wish I would have done differently. We all walk into this room with regret. How we respond to that is what makes the difference. Worldly regret caused one man to kill himself, godly sorrow caused another man to stay close enough to Jesus. That when it was time to witness his resurrection, it caused the messenger of God to say, You go find the 12 and don't you leave Peter out. Peter's going to be important. I've got plans for Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you really love me? God, I love you. Feed my sheep. And he did. He became one of the boldest men to ever walk this planet. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter, you've made some mistakes, but I'm not finished with you. You've made some mistakes, but God is not finished with you. There's some things you wish you could go back and do differently. There's some things you might not ever be able to take back. Some things you may not ever be able to change. But God's not finished with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.